Amen. Well, thank you all. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me again back to First Peter. I am, uh, man, just incredibly encouraged by uh, worship this morning. Um, thankful for our team and how they faithfully led us. Uh, sometimes I really believe I could just get up here and pray and then walk away from this thing. Uh, and Skylar and I like to say to each other, pray and walk away um, as we're dealing with just sister drama in our home. Uh, but man, I tell you, it's just such an encouragement to be led in such a faithful way by the word of God, singing the word of God. Uh, man, I am thankful for that. And so with that being said, we are going to move forward in First Peter. We are moving on from chapter 1, getting into uh, chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, I should say. And as we jump back into our text, I hope by now that you have seen and know that Peter's entire first chapter has truly been centered on one word, and that is the word hope. You see, as Christians today, living in the times that we are now living in, we have seen the problems that come with pandemics. We are now living in a time where we are dealing with a food crisis and shortages of food and formula. We have seen uh, the cost of inflation. And sadly, what I'm describing to you is not something that's happening in the world. It's actually happening within our own country. And yet I think Peter would want us to know today as Christians that when we see these moments, we need to see them as a reminder that our hope is not in what the world has to offer, but rather our hope should always be found in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. Because you see, Jesus will not fail, nor will Jesus ever change. And so as we look to our text this morning, Peter's going to close out chapter 1, open chapter 2, really by encouraging the church to stick with what I would call the fourth quarter program. Now, again, bear with me for a moment. Um, this is a football analogy, but do not tune me out. I want to explain to you what I am talking about. I was reminded this past week as I got to work with several uh, coaches over the past years. Uh, one of those coaches actually got promoted to athletic director, and so over a group chat, we were celebrating uh, that fact together, and we were actually talking about our time together at a particular school, and we had this program that we called the fourth quarter program, and to explain it to you, it basically goes like this. It was a program where the last 30 to 45 minutes of a workout, we pushed our athletes as hard as they could go. When they were in the midst of practice, they weren't allowed to walk for the last 45 minutes of practice. They had to run up to every play. They had to run up to their coach. In order to get water, they had to run to water, get the water, and then run back on their on the field. And so we ran them all over the place. We even ran them up when we were doing simple walkthroughs of basic plays that we were going to be running that season. Now, the goal was very simple. We wanted the students and the athletes to know that we may not be the most talented team on the field that night, but we would never be outworked, nor would we ever wear out. Now, our athletes thought this was absolutely crazy until the first game of the season when all of a sudden we hit the fourth quarter and the players came over to their coaches, we gave them their assignments, and then all of a sudden our team dead sprinted out into their position. And every play after that, from breaking the huddle to lining up for the next play, they ran. And we watched as not only in that first game, but the games to follow, as teams mentally and physically were worn down because of the energy and the passion and the work ethic of our athletes. 
Now, I say all that to say this to you. I believe as we look at this passage today at the end of 1 Peter, getting into uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, into chapter 2, I believe Peter is giving us this same motivation as he calls the church to see how the seed of hope that he's been talking about since the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1 has and will produce fruit that leads to what Peter is going to call a sincere love. Now, I want to define the word sincere for you before we get into this. You see, the word sincere means free from pretense or deceit. It's synonymous with words like wholehearted or faithful or even honest. And so Peter, through the seed of hope, is going to call the church to maintain a love that is honest and a love that is faithful, which shares in the very same qualities of love that we see in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So this morning, let's read more about what Peter calls a sincere love. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 22. And once you have found your place in the Word of God, if you can and you are able, I would invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Now again, this is Peter writing to the elect exiles in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. He writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could, I want to set the scene for you for a few moments. Peter is now going to use a pattern of reasoning for the church to show them how to move from what is to what ought to be. And many scholars have labeled this the indicative and the imperative. And so Peter has already used this pattern earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he wrote about how God's elect should now set their hope in God's grace. And then he calls them to be holy and to live in reverent fear. Now, because of this pattern of living, Peter will now write about the fruit of the work, which in and of itself is love. So we've seen the seed planted, the seed of hope, which is found in the living hope of Jesus Christ. And now all of a sudden, Peter's going to tell us what comes of the seed. And that is a genuine, wholehearted, faithful love, or better yet, a sincere love, as Peter calls it today. And so the question we're going to ask this morning, or answer this morning, is how do we live with a sincere love? Peter's going to give us three answers to that question. And he begins first in verse 22 by telling us that we can now live with a sincere love when we love one another from a pure heart. Notice what he says in verse 22. 
He says, and having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Notice that Peter opens by telling the exiles that since we have been purified by our obedience to the word, which, oh, by the way, more on the word here in just a moment, he says that we are now charged to love one another deeply. Now, in speaking of the phrase, the truth, I want us to understand that Peter is not talking abstractly here about the truth, but rather he's speaking specifically of the gospel. And so what Peter is saying this morning is he's saying that since you have believed in the gospel, you have now been purified. You see, our belief and love for the gospel has now changed our hearts and due to this heart change given to us by God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we have been taught how we are now to love one another. Now notice this about Peter. Peter is telling us that this is an ongoing process. It's not a completed work yet. Peter tells us this when he uses the phrase, and having purified your souls. You see, Peter teaches us that the gospel says this, because God loves me, I will obey. But notice, Peter takes it one step further by teaching that the work of purification in our lives, like sanctification, like growing in righteousness, is something that is being worked out within us on a regular basis. In other words, purification like sanctification is an ongoing process. So I'm here to tell you this morning that if you fall short, hear the word of God today, you are not a failure to God. Yes, you may have failed in some moment over the past few hours, over the past weekend, or over the past few weeks, but do not forget that what you are going through, the process of purification, sanctification, growing in righteousness, this is all a part of an ongoing process. This is why we can read that it's God's mercies that are made new every morning, and as his believers, as his people, we simply need to press on. I want you to think about this for a moment because maybe, maybe this is not sitting just so well with your soul. Think of it in terms of your own job. You may not be the best at what you do right now, but the reality is you want to get better. You may not be the, the best at what you do, and the reality is you are not going to become the best overnight at what it is that you do. You have to work at it, and the reality is as you continue to work at getting better at your job, as you continue to work at improving at your job, you will fail. However, you keep going. You persevere. You press onward. You see, the same can be said of our faith today. We are not perfect but the reality is God is not done with us, which means that you and I, we are not done growing. We are not done being made pure for the sake of righteousness. And so the reality for us today, hear Peter's word here, hear the, hear the encouragement here. This should really give you hope today. 
I mean, let me, let me unpack this for a moment. If you're, if you're a mom and a dad in a room and you feel like you're failing as a parent, sure, you may have failed in a moment, but you are growing. You are being sanctified. You are being purified each and every day. You may be single in the room. And because you haven't hit all of your dreams or all of your hopes, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're now a failure. No, you are being sanctified. You are being, as Peter said, you are being purified and you are continuing to grow. You may be a senior in the room. Maybe you're a super duper senior in the room. I want to tell you that as you think back on your life, you have not failed as you think about your children and what might have been, you have not failed. Sure, you may have setbacks, but even now, God is working in and through you. So we have to ask ourselves, what does all this purification and grace mean for us and how it relates to one another? Well, Peter answers when he charges the church in his very next phrase when he says to love one another from a pure heart. Notice what Peter is teaching us. He's saying, listen, show grace, show mercy, show charity. Why? Because people are messy. We are not always going to get it right, which means that as believers in Christ, we can't simply abandon one another because things got hard. We have to continue working it out. You see, here's the takeaway from Peter's first point. As Christians being purified daily, let us love one another with the same hope and the same grace that God has already shown to us. We are not perfect, but neither is anyone around us. So let's do our part and sincerely love one another. This leads Peter to his second answer to how we can now live with a sincere love. And he says it in verse 23 through verse 25 when he says that we should live with a love for the living and abiding word of God. Now again, I want you to keep that illustration I used at the very beginning about the fourth quarter program. And I want you to notice how all of a sudden with each answer to the question, Peter is going to build up more and more steam. Now Peter has already touched on the importance of loving the word of God and loving the the Lord of the word through verse 22 when he says, and purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So as we've already said, this particular truth that Peter's talking about is the gospel itself. But notice what Peter's going to do. He's going to drill down even further into the importance of the word of God in the following verses. He says to us in verse three or 23, that you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Did you hear what Peter just told the church? He tells us that the gospel grants life. I mean, just just so we're all clear here, just so we're, we're all on the same page with what Peter's talking about, Peter is talking about how God grants his people a new life. God grants his people a second lease on life through his grace and through his mercy. This is what we call, rudimentarily, I understand, but this is what we call the doctrine of regeneration. And the reality is this. It is 
God who has done the work. It is God who is doing the work. It is God who is quickening the mind, opening the eyes, and renewing the will according to the word and ultimately for his glory. God is the one doing the work. Now coming back to our text, Peter's going to teach us that the word of God The word that has pointed us to Jesus Christ. He says, listen, the word of God is living. It's imperishable. It's enduring. And because of this, the gospel itself will always have the power to give life. I mean, talk about power for a moment. The word itself has the power to speak life into people. So if you want to get to know anything, get to know the God of the Bible. Get to know the Word of God. And not just to simply know it for head knowledge, but rather to know it for the sake of gospel proclamation. And so I want to ask you this question. How are we getting to know this book for the purpose of making the gospel known? Now, you may think that's a simple question, but I want you to think about that question for just a moment. Because there's too many Christians who can think they can walk around and say, I don't need the Bible to understand Jesus. And I want to say to you, I don't understand the Jesus you're talking about if it's a Jesus that comes apart from the Bible. We have to know the word. Let me unpack what I'm talking about for a second. If you have a life question coming your way, maybe you're fixing to make a a massive decision about purchasing a home, pray hard about that, but read the word. If you're about to make a a career change, if you're about to to get married, or you're thinking about having children all of a sudden, or, or maybe you're fixing to have grandchildren, one of the first questions we should be asking ourselves is this, what action, this is as Christians, what action should I take that is in line with the gospel? What decision that I'm about to make is consistent with what the gospel says? Maybe you're here today and, and your future seems uncertain. Maybe, maybe your, your job's about to come to a close. Maybe you've already received that pink slip that says, hey, you got about 30 more days, and then your job is gone. Maybe you're struggling with finances today. Maybe you're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. Peter says to us that our response in those moments shouldn't be to blame someone else or to blame something else, but rather we should ask ourselves, what response in this moment should I have that aligns with the gospel? What response should I have that aligns with the truth as it is taught according to the word of God? You see, here's the truth that we need to understand this morning. We should always seek the path that is in line with the gospel. Why? Because there is no alternative. Because if there was an alternative, it would lead to death and destruction and hopelessness. Coming back to our text, notice what Peter does here. Peter actually is going to quote scripture at this point. 
which, I mean, makes sense. I mean, if you're going to talk about how you should have a love for the word, it kind of makes sense that you should be willing to, to quote the word of God, right? So he quotes directly from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 through 8, which is what we read earlier. Now, here's Peter's point. He wanted the church to see that since Scripture itself is God's holy word, it also shares in his attributes in the sense that the word of God endures forever, Now, to push this point even further, notice what Peter does. He compares the word of God to mankind. He says that mankind, we are like flowers. Yeah, we're pretty for a season, but man, Peter would say that season is short-lived. I mean, some of you ladies who are married right now, you may be experiencing this with your husbands at the moment. You may be looking at your husband going, you were pretty, but you're letting it go. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you just nudged your spouses. Shame on you. I'll let you work that out later. I'm glad my wife's not here. I didn't let her see this sermon ahead of time, by the way. What Peter's saying is, listen, our life, though beautiful, it'll wither. Our life will begin to decay. And if the Lord tarries and doesn't return, and he will in his time, we will die. But, Peter says, the word will never fade. You see, this thought would have probably led most people to despair at this moment. This thought probably would have led a lot of people to hear and, and, and hear these words read and all of a sudden lead them to, to simply despair and, wor- and, and worry because of the, 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 the brevity and the fragility of life and its shortness. But this is not true for Peter at all. In fact, look at the very next thing he says in the text. He says this, And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let me say that again. Who was this word preached to? Who was this gospel preached to? To you. Peter tells us that because we now have heard the gospel, because we now believe in the gospel, because the the word of God unites us to the risen Savior and Lord, we can now know that an imperishable and unfading inheritance kept by God now awaits us. He's simply repeating what he's already said in verses 3 and 4 and verse 9 of of chapter 1. But if you continue to read the word of God, listen to how else the word of of God is described in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, popular passage. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Notice what the Word of God says about the Word of God. The Word is unfading. The Word is living. The Word is sharp. The Word pierces the soul. The word gives life. Never underestimate the power of the living and undefiled word of God. See, I believe this is Peter's second takeaway for us today. Our love for the word will lead us to a genuine 
faithful love that will be life-giving and will never fade away. You see, this love seen within the word was meant to be shared with a world that is desperate, a world that is sick, and a world that is hopeless. This would then lead Peter to his third answer on how we should live with a sincere love. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Peter tells us that we are to love the Lord who is indeed good. So notice we are called to love one another. We are called to love the word. And now we are called to love the Lord who is indeed good. So now let me come back to my fourth quarter program. All of a sudden, um, here's Peter uh, teaching and he's picking up steam with each and every one of his points. And so now we get to the very end of this message and Peter is really running full speed with what it is that he wants the church to now know. So in order to understand these first three verses of chapter 2, let's flip the text a little bit to get an idea of what Peter is talking about. Start with me in verse 3. Notice what Peter says. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, here's what Peter's teaching. Peter's saying, listen, because we know that God is good, then by his own standard, by his call as his image bearers being conformed to him. We are not good, but we are seeking to strive for that which God calls good because he alone is good. And in order to strive for God's goodness according to his own standard, we have to live God's goodness in our attitudes and in our actions. So naturally, you have to ask the question, in order to achieve this standard, how do we do it? Peter answers the question if you go back to verse 1. He says simply, so put away, or better yet, rid yourselves, or take off and lay aside as if you were laying aside clothes. You see, by by putting away this list of sins that Peter is about to give us, Peter is literally envisioning the church uh, taking off these sins and, and discarding them as if they were soiled garments themselves that could not be cleansed or could not be washed. They were simply discarded at this point. And so then Peter names what it is that we need to rid ourselves of. He says in verse 1, So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. You see, Peter names these particular sins because they are community-destroying sins that often get overlooked in the church. Now, to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, these are the sins that we see, these are the sins that we hear about, and we think to ourselves, well, they didn't say these things to me. They didn't say these things about me, so I don't need to worry about it. If that is what we are thinking, then let's take a closer examination of what Peter is talking about. Let's start with the word malice. Malice defined means ill will towards others. Malice is wickedness that occurs when there is bad blood between two people or when someone is nursing a grudge against another. Peter says, 
Rid yourself of it. The next word he gives us is hypocrisy, which also means insincerity, which is the opposite of what Peter is talking about here with the church. You see, Peter now in this moment in speaking of hypocrisy is talking about the times when someone deliberately deceives the church for the sake of their own gain or to protect their own reputation. Usually it's seen when there's a contrast between belief and practice. It is generally seen when there's a contrast between someone's outer life and what's festering within their own heart. And Peter says, rid yourself of it. He then speaks of the word envy. And Peter actually links the word envy with the word malice because malice actually leads to envy. You see, envy is the constant sorrow or the selfish desire we feel when someone has something that we want or think that we deserve. And Peter again says, rid yourselves of it. Then he says the word deceit. Deceit, which means dishonesty, whether in word or deed. And then he gives us the word slander. Slander meaning bold opposition to the truth. It usually occurs when we speak harshly about someone behind their backs in an attempt to hide the truth. And Peter tells the church to do away with these sins. You see, Peter understands that God's people won't always get it right. As he's already established, we are seeking to be purified. We are seeking to grow in our sanctification. We are seeking to grow in our own righteousness and our own understanding of who God is. And so we are going to fail. We are not always going to get it right. The reality is we don't always tell the truth. In fact, sometimes in order to save face, sometimes in order to save our reputation, we will lie so that we don't look bad. And Peter says to us, oh, no, 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 Christian, don't do that. Don't be that. In fact, Christian, if there's someone who is doing that or has done that, whether they said it to you directly or not, you should probably say something to them for the sake of seeing them repent. Because what's happening may not affect you, but it's destroying your community. You see, the reality we live in today is that people will sin. People will lie. And as such, if we are the ones who deceive, if, if we are the ones who slander, then we really shouldn't be surprised when we are found out and called out. Because this type of sin has no place in the church. And it will begin to rip apart the very fabric of the community. You see, as a church, we need to speak truth. And notice what happens. As we speak more truth, we will begin to speak more in love. We will begin to speak more for the purpose of edification, and we will strive to speak grace for the purpose of growth and edification. So I want to ask you this morning, how are you speaking? What, or better yet, who are you listening to? Because if Peter were here today, he would say, Christian, don't be a part of community dividing language, especially when those words 
cannot be proven. Now, again, I told you this was going to pick up steam. So Peter hammers us with lessons we need to learn about sin and how sin needs to be removed. And then notice what happens next. We get to verse 2, and Peter begins to tell us how we can now break the cycle of sin. Notice what Peter says. He says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now notice Peter teaches that because we have tasted, or better yet, experienced God's goodness, we can now rid ourselves of these sins. And we do so by craving the word of God. Now notice this. Peter brings this whole message of hope, this whole message of love, back to the very word of God. You see, for Peter, if we love the Lord, who is indeed good, then we will desire to know the word of God. In fact, Peter talks about this when he says pure spiritual milk. Now again, don't mishear what Peter is saying in this moment. He's not talking about the milk in the same way that it's mentioned in other parts of the word of God as basic principles taught to new converts, but rather Peter is talking about Christians seeking the word of God, which is undeceiving. Christians seeking the word of God, which is pure. Christians seeking the word of God, which is undefiled. In other words, as Christians, we should seek the word of God because the word of God is without error. The word of God is without addition. It is perfect because it was given to us by our God who loves us, our God who we love, our God who is perfect. So in order to grow, Peter, Peter's message is very simple. He says, hey, in order to grow, we must taste the milk. Meaning that we know that the Lord is good. Meaning that we know that he loves us. Meaning that we know that we should love him. And in knowing this, we seek to grow. Because God alone is good. You see, here's our takeaway from Peter's third point. He says, man, when we love the Lord, who is good, and we keep the Lord first, then we will stay close to his word, and we will learn to avoid sin and speak grace, truth, and love to those around us. So I want to ask you this morning, do you see that the Lord is good? Do you live and speak as if he alone is good? You see, Peter has now given the church really the program and the practice in order to grow in grace and grow in faith. Peter teaches that what we are called to love the Lord, that we, that we are now called to love the Lord who is good. We are called to love the word that is undefiled and love one another with a pure heart because God has commanded us to do so through his holy word. And if we obey the truth, by believing in the power of the gospel, then we will be a people who tell the truth. And thus, we will put off the sin that can easily entangle and destroy. 
So notice God through Peter really gives us the blueprint of what happens when we rid ourselves of sin and continue to speak truth as we grow up in salvation. And Peter would say that blueprint leads us to know how to live and how to speak with a sincere love. And so I leave you with this question. What are you talking about today? Because I hope Peter's word, I hope it comes from a love that is sincere. Let's pray together.